say my name until the city burns and the stars fade away and your scars don't hurt i will hold you till the sun comes crashing down i'm yours until the end of time hey everyone welcome to the restored to more podcast a listener supported podcast that is dedicated to restoring marriages to wholeness in christ after being affected by pornography and sexual brokenness After betraying charity with pornography and unwanted sexual behavior, we had no idea how to rebuild our relationship or even if it was possible to restore what was broken. Today, by God's grace, we have learned how to connect again, laugh again, and rebuild spiritual, emotional, and sexual intimacy to an even greater experience than before. Our goal is that as you hear our story, the stories of others, and the knowledge needed to heal, you too can have a marriage that is becoming restored to more. I'm yours until the end of time. Update everyone. Course one registrations are back open. Whoop, whoop. This is an eight week course starting Thursday, September 14th. That is designed to help you and your spouse start the journey to becoming restored to more. It will be led by R2M certified coaches, Cody and Michelle Larson. We will be focusing on how to cultivate safety and trust, healthy communication, deal with triggers, and begin to discover how God can use crisis to create closeness. You can see all the details on our website and can register today at www.restoredtomore.com slash courses. Also, if you have appreciated this podcast, a great way to say thank you is leaving a five-star rating and a positive review. These reviews help more people find the podcast and experience hope and healing. Say my name until the city. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Restored to More. We are so excited to introduce you guys to our guests, Mark and Beth Dennison. Mark and Beth are the founders of There's Still Hope, a national sexual addiction recovery ministry. Mark has a master's in addiction recovery and is a certified PSAP, while Beth is is a trained life coach and an AASAT certified partner recovery coach. They work with men, women, and couples, helping them find healing through a ton of resources. Beth has become a popular speaker, a women's ministry leader, while Mark is a former church planter, pastor, NBA chaplain, and a university board chairman. He has written four books on recovery, and we are so excited for the wisdom that you guys are going to be sharing. Thank you for being with us on the Restored to More podcast. Thank you. It's great Thanks to be with us. you. Yes. Well, I know that we've heard your story, but for maybe some of our listeners that don't know who you guys are, can you guys share with us your personal story of addiction and betrayal in your marriage? Well, sure. Um, appreciate the opportunity. We are from Houston, Texas. Uh, met when I was a sophomore in college. Beth was a senior in high school. I was a youth minister at her church uh, where she came to Christ. I came to Christ through a bus ministry when I was a teenager. And uh, so we met in church. And when I went, was already in, in a Christian university, which she went to as well, and later went to seminary and did the things you do when you feel called to ministry. Uh, going to seminary, going through that, getting a master's, a doctorate, planted a church. Uh, we were there for 18 years, moved to a second church for several years and later a third. So over 31 years in uh, Texas, we served three churches as senior pastor, and the ministry was going great. Everything was wonderful, other than I had a part of my life that was not public. I was a sex addict. The roots of that went back to several childhood issues of trauma, abuse, and isolation, but I never dealt with it properly, and Beth became aware of some of these issues, 
and everything just kind of hit the fan in uh, 2013. Yeah, um, I did not realize that um, we were dealing with sexual addiction, although we had issues pretty much our whole marriage. Mm. And um, there would be things that would come up occasionally, and I would uh, address them, and I would get, you know, like this much of the story, and it was really a whole lot bigger. Um, we would go to counseling, work on things, and things would get better. Um, we'd get through that crisis. I had no idea it was an ongoing mm. issue, but I just kept this feeling that there was something not right, but I never could figure it out. And I kept thinking it was something about me. If I was a better wife, uh, you know, just all those questions that go through my mind. And so, um, it really wasn't until 2013 when everything blew up that he came clean about it being a sexual addiction. And of course, finding out that our whole 30 year marriage to that point had been full of betrayal after betrayal after betrayal um, was, was devastating. But for me, it was um, as difficult as it was, it, it explained a lot of things. Mm. You know, there were things that I kept thinking were not right, but I never, I, I made myself kind of crazy trying to figure out what it was and looking for answers. Uh, so it, it brought a lot of clarity wow. to the whole story, really. Wow. You know, real quick, what happened after that, we got in recovery uh, through 12-step work, a lot of therapy, did a full clinical disclosure with the CSAT, Certified Sex Addiction Therapist, and did follow-up disclosures after that, um, just as a part of the, the process. And we're doing really well uh, doing my recovery work, Beth was for her. And about a year later, my past was discovered by someone in the church, uh, something they found on my computer that was actually my disclosure to my wife, but I never had deleted it. And so I resigned from the church. That was in 2014. We were in the Houston area and moved to Florida to be near our son uh, and didn't have any idea at that point what life was going to be like. But we came here in 2014 and uh, and here we are now. God called us wow. into addiction ministry after that. But it's been a story of redemption and grace. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've not just survived, we've thrived. Things are better now than they ever were. Wow. That's that's a true story of being restored to more, because uh, yes. that's what we talk about. Let's talk about going from going from what we think is is total destruction and and just like oh my gosh, where can we go from here? And then seeing how God's used it, and God has no question. There's He's used your story in such a mighty way that you guys have now tra- just almost pivoted in ministry, right? It seems like you were doing church yes. planning, you were doing um, so many different kinds of, of work for God. And it's like okay, now God wants to have you guys pivot over here and help people. What does that journey look like for you guys? How did you start that journey of recovery with couples and people and all that? Well, it started when uh, I was just doing anything when we moved. We were in a really tough spot financially and didn't know what God's future was. So I was uh, just doing whatever I had to do to provide, driving for Uber, driving for Lyft, delivering groceries. I mean, we're just doing everything. And and somewhere in there, while still working on recovery, uh, the the idea that just kept coming back to us was let your problem become your platform. Mm-hmm. I had done the study. I knew that 37% of pastors struggle with this. I knew that 62% of the men in the church are looking at porn every week. And it's a huge problem. No one's talking about it. Pastors struggle with this more than any other profession. And if not me, then who? And yeah. if not now, then when? Yeah. And I knew I was done as a pastor, 
but um, God was just really speaking to our spirit that we were not done as servants. And so uh, sensing a call to help others, we didn't really know where to start. So I went back to school and got a master's degree in addiction recovery. We didn't want to launch anything until we had several years, until I had several years of solid recovery. And so we took some time uh, to do it right, went back to school. Beth became a life coach, a partner recovery coach, uh, began to write materials. Uh, we've now actually written, I think, seven books on the subject. Wow. And um, wow. just really put ourselves out there for that. And are so excited about it because the, the, the funny thing is when you pastor a church, whenever you leave for whatever reason, they're always going to replace you. I mean, it was kind of humbling to find out that they somehow mysteriously found another pastor <laughs> each time. Um, and yet with what we do now, this is a, a um, space that very few are filling. Yeah. And just like for y'all, it's a very young couple doing what you're doing. I mean, no one's doing what you're doing. It's so awesome. And so there's this huge space in kingdom work that someone needs to fill and it cannot be just academic. I mean, I, I like academics, but if I don't have my own story, I don't have anything. Yeah. And so God combined the academics, the training with the story uh, to launch a ministry. And so we feel more fulfilled than ever because yeah. we're doing things a lot of other people aren't doing. Yeah. Wow. So cool. That is the epitome of what the enemy meant for evil. God will use for good, right? Uh, yes. I just... You know, some something that you had said, Beth, and I kind of want to go back to your story, but you were talking about how you knew that, you know, there are multiple things that just weren't adding up. And so it was just confusing. You know, you'd probably be questioning, you know, what's going on. And I think sometimes some women have this gut feeling, but they would prefer not to confront it or not to talk about it because it may seem seem too painful. But really what you're saying is that when you brought it to light, I believe that probably that clarity gave you healing. So then you finally like weren't going crazy. Is that correct? Can you speak to that at all? Well, yes. I think part of the problem is, um, you know, addicts lie. And so when you question them, is something wrong or you find some little bit of something that would be an indicator, maybe there's an issue. When you confront, it's denied. That's typical. And um, after you've had that rebuffed so many times, you stop listening to that gut because we need Mm. that validation to connect. And when it's denied over and over again, we start, we start questioning our own Mm. ability to discern right and wrong or what's truth. Um, And after a while, you just stop listening to that voice. And it's really this crazy making cycle. And it's really part of the, I think the greatest part of abuse of sexual addiction is that, um, that making the spouse think they're crazy through that denial after denial. Uh, and it's, it's very destructive. So I think for me, once I, um, I decided on my own to focus on my own, um, just becoming healthy, not knowing anything about sexual addiction, not knowing that, but just deciding I can't live in this crazy space. It's not healthy for me. So when the issue did come up in 2013, I was at a better place so I could, could, could confront in a way where I wasn't going to back down. Um, and where in the past I would have just go, okay. It it was this crazy cycle where I would confront by the time we're done with the conversation, I'm apologizing for ever doubting anything he's saying. Totally, It's just, 
It's so crazy. Yes. Um, but at that particular time in 2013, I think God had just given me an extra measure of boldness and strength to be able to confront and not back down when he denied, because he denied it at first. And I just said, you know what? Um, let's try this again. And I love you and I want to be here for you, but I can't, if you're not honest, I can't do this. And through the grace of God, you know, it just started unraveling and and things came out, but there is that, um, there is that piece where you, you stop listening to that inner voice, that intuition that God has given you. And part of the healing for me was learning to trust that voice again, Mm. learning Mm who I was and the strength that I have in Christ. Yeah. Can I ask a question? That was on so that? good. Yeah, it was amazing. You know, Beth, what advice do you give to women? Cause there are tons of women that are reaching out to us and asking, Hey, my husband's not admitting it. I, I can, I can tell something's wrong. Something's wrong in the bedroom. Something's wrong with our sex. You know, it feels weird. He's doing things that are uncomfortable. It's just like there's trying, there's something going on, but he, he always denies pornography, always denies sexual addiction. And for whatever reason, like you said, as an addict, which I've been, we are like the top hiders, man. If anybody should be some kind of a secret agent, they should go find people that show a sexual addiction because we'd probably be able to hide stuff and it'd be crazy. And we can just lie, right. bold faced lies. And, and it's so sad, but it's the reality of our life, especially when we've learned to do it from a young age, sometimes single digit ages. What do you, what advice do you give to women who are in that place where something's wrong, but they can't even talk about it with their spouse? It's, it's so difficult. Um, you know, I don't think there's one magic answer because everybody's different. Sure. You know, obviously having support, getting support that you need to be able to stand strong in that, praying for God's wisdom and, and intervention. And one of the things that I repeatedly prayed was that God would bring forth truth. God is truth. And so I would just keep praying that truth would be revealed. Um, and so I would say the biggest thing that a spouse can do is focus on their own strength and healing so that they are in a strong place where they can set strong boundaries um, and not back down. And that's very difficult to do and to stick with it if you've not been used to doing that. And I certainly was not used to doing that. Um, And that was part of my healing. But, but I would say to, for them to focus on their own uh, strength, spiritual walk, their own healthy boundaries so that they can, um, confront, but in love and with, with clear boundaries. The other thing I've heard Beth tell her clients a lot is never listen to their words, listen to their behaviors. Yeah. Yeah. It's so good. So good. And so true. So I I was going to ask you on the other side, Mark, I think you, you know, you talk about using your, what was it? Not paying for a platform using your, let your problem, let your problem, your platform. You know, you are in a situation that so many men are in, whether they're in ministry or not, we, we, we have status in our jobs or they're a top performing sales executive or they're the leader of a church or they're leader of a small group or they are in youth ministry to whatever capacity. And I know I've been in this role where I thought, man, if people really knew where I was at in my addiction, that I was using strip clubs, massage parlors, outside of even pornography, when I'd be a monster, my kids would hate me forever. They want nothing to do with me. My wife might even divorce me. For sure, whatever status I have would be taken out from underneath me. My whole life would be wrecked. And I, I think, I don't know if that relates to you, but I feel like we play that like, okay, if, th- if I ever come clean, this is what's going to happen. What was it that allowed you to open up, not only to Beth, but to people, to, to, to getting help, to a therapist? What allowed you to take, to take that first step to getting some healing? 
Well, a couple of things. Great question. And and you're right. I mean, professionally, women tend to draw their self-esteem from their husbands, but men draw their self-esteem, self-esteem from their work. And so you protect your work. And when you're a pastor of a church, and it was a good church. I mean, we had 2,000 members and things were going well. And I was the guy in town people looked to to pray at all the town meetings and stuff. You want to cover that. You want that to last as long as it can. Uh, for me to break out of it, frankly, was my discovery. Uh, I, I didn't have the courage that I needed. And when I was discovered, and that's how it is for most guys, I just, I just finally had to quit lying and covering it up. Um, to share with others, I had to get to the point that my uh, opinion of myself mattered more than theirs did. Mm. And that's hard because as a pastor, uh, pastor comes from the Latin word meaning people pleaser. <laughs> I mean, I'm just a people pleaser um, to the max. I want everyone to like my sermon, the way I talk to them, the way I treat everything. So I work like crazy hours. And just I was always visiting the hospitals, doing every meeting, just trying to do everything I could <clears throat> to help people. I'm from a good heart. But I had to learn that my opinion of myself mattered more than theirs did. And when I quit empowering them by saying your opinion matters most, I could now share my story. And if they don't receive it, well, that's all right. Uh, My pastor who led me to Christ when I was 14, he died last week Mm. at the age of 84. He lives in Tennessee, and they asked me to come speak at the service. I saw people I've not seen since high school, and most of them didn't know my story. They just knew you know, you whacked out somewhere. We knew you were pastoring. Now you're doing this porn related thing. What's that all about? And, and I can honestly look at them and, you know, and say to myself, I don't care what you think, you know, because I've got to care about myself and self care. And the only vote in this world that really matters is sitting right next to me. And if she's okay with me, God's okay with me and I'm okay with me, then, then it's all right. And that gave me a sense of courage and boldness to open up and share. That's very freeing. And it's something I really didn't have as a pastor. Why do you believe that there's so much shame around being a pastor who struggles with porn or sex addiction? Because, I mean, you sit on your guys' website, it says 37% of pastors struggle with this. And so why do you believe that there's so much more shame in that? Well, first, the reason we struggle with it more is because we are not treated the same. Um, There's perfectionism tied to the ministry. You can't fail. And so that creates all kinds of problems. We isolate. uh, We have unaccounted for hours. And so we're just a perfect target for that. Plus the enemy is after the pastor because that's how he can attack the church. The shame comes from the fact that we've been conditioned for it by our churches. Uh, The church can forgive about anything except this. Mm. And frankly, being in the Bible Belt, being in the South, while there's a lot of strength to that, I mean, in, in Texas, there there's a mega church on every corner, and we were in a mainline uh, evangelical Protestant denomination, but there's not always as much grace with that. There's a lot of rules. There's a lot of boxes. There's a lot of this is what ministry is supposed to look like, and so we just didn't feel the freedom to really be able to tell people what our sin was. Um, Bonhoeffer said that we as Christians lack the freedom to be sinners together. Mm. And that's kind of where we lived our lives. It was okay being saints together, but the, the center part, not so much. And, you know, no one wants to go first. And so, you know, most guys, pastors, they don't even share if they're struggling with fantasy or if they've had a temptation with a woman, let alone if they've actually fallen. And so the need to maintain your integrity and the view that people have and your job and your sanity 
you create two lives. You've got the, the real life and then you've got the life everybody else sees and you, you hold that up at any cost. What would you recommend um, a pastor who's maybe listening to this and they're like, man, like I struggle with this, you know, what, what would be yeah. the, maybe a couple of things that you would recommend for them to do? First thing is to get my book called Porn in a Pew. Uh, it's the first book I wrote on this and, and, and really reach out to our ministry. I do a group just for pastors. Yeah. Um, it's, we call it a freedom group. And um, uh, I know your next question is going to be, would you please hold up your workbook on your freedom group? So I'll save you the trouble. <laughs> um, that's my 400. I can read your mind. That's our 400 page workbook wow. on freedom group. It takes a year to go through. And I've got about to start my seventh group that meets every week. And I've got a group just for pastors and it's a great resource for pastors, not the material. I mean, the material is fine, but it's, it's the freedom Mm -hmm. and anonymity for guys from all over the world to get on a zoom call together and share within the context of not being found out or having to share this with someone else. So it's really finding someone that they're safe with. I mean, that's the short answer. I'm safe because I've been there. Uh, and because of my own ministry, but pastors have got to find some place where they feel safe. And that's hard to do. You go to your local SA or SAA group or even CR celebrate recovery. And it just doesn't always feel safe. Um, you know, it's, and so it's finding a safe person. Therapy's great, but a ministry like ours, and especially someone who's been where you are. And that's, what's kind of unique about what we have it's being a pastor, pastor's wife that have gone through this journey together. We're a safe landing place for people like that. Absolutely. That's amazing. You offer those. I'm glad, I'm glad you shared those because that's a big deal. And um, there are more and more groups that, that are, are being created. And I love that you guys specify that there is one just for pastors to meet other pastors because you know, you're, you're going to find somebody that you can relate to not only in your profession, but in the idea that you just said that pastors aren't allowed to fail. They're not allowed to sin in this area. You can sin in a lot of other areas, and you know that. Even other addictions are accepted. You can have food addiction. You can have, you know, video game addiction. You can be addicted to, yeah, you can definitely be a workaholic. That's probably encouraged, actually, in the pastoral role. Um, right? A per- yep. Performance addiction, people-pleasing. You can be codependent, you can be all these things. But the minute you mention that you show a sexual sin, it's like, all right, well, hey, please send in your resume, and uh, we'll, please, we'll, start, we'll find somebody else to fill your spot. And I think that's so sad because p- pastors are just people. Yes, they're called to a certain kind of ministry, but they're just like any other dude that struggles with this. They're not They're not perfect people. They're not like God just took that gene out of them. Like, okay, you're not going to you know, struggle with this. Like, there's no way, man. They're just other dudes that, that have been called to, to read God's word and teach God's word in a, in a powerful way. And I think you're right that they have a target on their head because, uh, because they're doing a work that is so needed. And um, I hope that they heard what you said about being a safe landing place. I love that. For you, Beth, we'd love to hear a little about your journey, being the pastor's wife, right? Because we know that's a whole journey in and of itself. (laughs) To be married to somebody for 30 years, he'd been going through this. What was that like for... Now, I'm trying to remember, did you find out or did you... You found out first. You guys were already working on your recovery, but when it publicly got known. But what was that like for you? When all of a sudden, it, it wasn't just you two knowing about it. All of a sudden, somebody else knew about it. Your world got turned upside down. Talk us, talk us through that a little bit. Well, I tell you, it was um, both horrifying and relieving mm-hmm. at the same time. In that once we were in recovery, um, I now had 
something to hold on to is this is this is what's been going on. I now know what it is. We're in recovery. But I it felt inauthentic to not be real and to be able to share what our struggle was. I recognized what the cost could be if we did. Um, but it just didn't feel right to me. I didn't like living a lie. Um, and so it, it really bothered me. And it it was one of those things that was in the back of my mind that at any time, something from his past could be known and life as we know it would be over. And so there's that kind of thing hanging over my head, but I couldn't, you know, I couldn't just live in fear about it, but it was, it was still there. So when that day did come, absolutely life as we knew it was over, but at the same time, I had this incredible peace that God was in control, that we were going to be okay. He was devastated because everything he'd ever done was just wiped away. And, you know, our whole livelihood in a second is gone. You're gone. There's no talking about it. Um, Just everything is over. And, but I had an incredible peace that God was going to take care of us. And I didn't feel like I had to live with that lie. Now it was extremely humiliating for it to become a public thing. Um, You know, unfortunately, the spouse carries that same shame. Um, Not that we should, but, you know, when the two becomes one, when it's on him, it's on, it's on the spouse as well. And so um, I didn't, I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't want to see anybody. I guess part of it was I didn't want, I didn't want people feeling sorry for me. And I didn't, you know, I just thought, no, God's got this and we're going to make it through. I had no idea how, um, but I was glad that it was no longer in secret. But yes, there's an incredible amount of embarrassment and shame um, that just naturally goes with it. Did you guys find that um, you guys struggled at all with your relationship with Christ when this whole thing happened? Did it make you more resentful towards him? Um, Did it make you lean into him more? What did your guys' relationship with him? Because I can only imagine, I mean, from what we share is, you know, we both grew up in the church and you can read scripture all day long, but when you actually have to apply it in this specific circumstance, it is really difficult. And um, and when you're dealing with triggers and it's like, okay, just read, do not be anxious about anything and submit to your husband. It's like, okay, Submitting looks a little different when your husband has betrayed you, you know? And so I'm just, I'm curious for you guys, what did your guys' relationship with Christ look like in this season? I think it got a lot better. Um, You know, until God's all you have, you don't realize he's all you need. And he definitely became all we had. And so we had to lean on each other more than ever, uh, God more than ever. And somewhere in the back of my mind, I always believed that God was, and it was true, God was protecting me. And he protected me for so many years from this becoming known. And I just thought he always would. You know, it's like, man, he's been doing it so long already. I don't know how this hasn't been found out. It's crazy. And so for me, it was a sense of um, uh, I should have been busted 30 years earlier, you know, in terms of what I was doing uh, and and should have been known earlier. And so God's grace is what protected me as long as it did. And it was his grace that revealed me, uh, opened things up when he did, because, uh, you know, I just as a part of my own recovery, I go to a 12 step group every week on Thursday nights, a secular group. 
And I tell those guys all the time that addiction is God's great unwanted gift because that is the reason, not a reason, that is the reason that I surrender to him every day. Uh, For me, the spiritual journey goes to John 5, the man that was a paralytic for 38 years. Three things happened for him to get well. He had to be desperate. Jesus said, you really want to be well. He had to be surrendered. Jesus said, pick up your mat. That didn't make any sense. He was paralyzed. And he had to have community. The next day, he was with other believers in in the temple. And that's where this put me. Uh, I knew that I had to be desperate because I cannot be sober apart from him. It's impossible. I know I have to be in community. I've got to have others along this journey with me. And I have to be surrendered every day, maintain that hunger, that desperation. So it's a great gift that has caused me and us to be closer to Christ than we ever were before. And for me, and uh, when when it all came to light, um, it was kind of a, a turning point, really a crisis of faith for me in the sense that um, I knew that I had every biblical reason to walk away. I, you know, I knew I could do that justifiably so. But I also knew that God's word said that all things are possible. Mm. And so it was, I turned to God and basically said, okay, your word says that all things are possible, but nothing's impossible with you. And so if that is true, then I need healing. He needs healing. We need healing. And I'm yeah. you know, basically putting God's word to a test. I'm like, okay, I'm not trusting him. I'm trusting God. Yeah. I'm trusting God to be true to his word. And so I didn't go into it saying I'm committed for the long haul. I just said, I'm giving God the chance to prove that he is true to his word. And, um, and so it really helped me because I recognized my trust could not be in my husband's sobriety. It had to be in God alone because that's, that's, that was my only true anchor. Mm. And, uh, and th- that was really a, a turning point for me. Wow. How did you guys start the journey of building intimacy? And I don't mean sexual intimacy, but just sexual intimacy, you know, being known and, and enjoying one another again and being able to communicate without harsh words. And how did you guys start that journey of rebuilding intimacy back into your guys' marriage? Well, she still screams a lot. <laughs> so, you know, that, that, I don't know that harsh word thing. Been, the wrong so working on that part. <laughs> um, you know, I think, um, um, actually, no, I'm not a screamer, but I think actually the, um, it really, the ball was in his court a lot because for addicts, their, their big thing is the intimacy avoidance. Um, I've longed to have that kind of connection. And so it was a matter of him starting to show up in that space and, and being willing to be real and to share what he was really feeling. And for me to give him the, the space to do that in kind of a non-judgmental, non-critical way, I couldn't have done that if I hadn't been working on myself, if mm. I had not been working my own healing, uh, it would have just been too triggering, but we were both committed to doing the hard work. And, and that's what I tell women is especially it's, it's so difficult for a spouse to be thrown in this position through no fault of her own. And she now has to do the hard work of her own recovery, but it is absolutely crucial if she wants to get well, regardless of what happens in the marriage. I mean, you know, the spouse, you know, the addict can fall off the planet tomorrow. 
she still has to do the hard work of healing unless she wants to carry this stinking baggage around her neck for the rest of her life. Um, and so I, knew, I realized I had to do the work for me to be able to be in that space with him as he started opening up and sharing. And I think because we we're both working very hard at it, um, it, it just helped us to connect, to be honest with one another and what we were feeling, to give each other the, the, the leeway to do that um, and be a safe space for each other. But it's better now than ever. The inconvenient truth for women is that it just takes the guy to get in the ditch, but it takes both of us to get out. And that's terribly unfair for the wife. Yeah. She didn't ask for this, not her fault at all. And it just takes the guy to get us into the ditch, but the guy himself cannot get you out. And so the tragedy of so much 12-step work, and we believe in the 12 steps. In fact, in answer to your next question, I wrote a book on the 12 steps, and there it is, <laughs> Jesus cool. and the 12 steps. Um, so we believe in the 12 steps. We believe in those groups. We both go to them. But you find for every woman, there will be 10 men uh, because most wives never really engage the process of recovery. And so, it, it, and therefore you don't have intimacy. And if you don't have that together, you don't have it at all. Yeah. yeah. And, and I will, I will confess, I was one of those resistant women initially, you know, I just thought, okay, he's the one with the problem. If he gets fixed, then everything will be fine. Not looking at my own issues. The fact that I didn't cause this, but I am, I've got gaping wounds in me now as much as I don't like it, I've got to tend to those gaping wounds. Yeah. And, uh, and so even though I resisted initially thinking, okay, you just go get your stuff fixed and we'll be okay. I finally had to come to the realization, no, I've got real issues here that yeah. I've got to deal with, or I'm going to be carrying this the rest of my life. So it's very important. Yes. Agreed. You are speaking to the core and heart of so many um, men, women, and couples right now. I, I believe it. Is there any specific um, tools that you could share with us that maybe you guys did to kind of help rebuild um, that safety for you? Well, I work with women all the time on on how to um, try to reestablish that safety. Anytime there's that betrayal trauma. Um, there's this crisis of we want to feel safe and we can't connect if we don't feel safe. So how do you reestablish that with somebody who is not safe? Well, you know, it's different for each person. For one, it, it takes willingness on both parties. But if the spouse, if the addict is in recovery, if they are willing to be transparent, to be open, to have accountability, that will go so far in helping the wife to feel safe again. And I, I tell guys when we work with couples, if you want your wife to heal, the absolute best thing you can say is, honey, whatever you need, I will do it. You know, whatever it is, the minute that you are defensive, the minute that you um, start minimizing it, the minute you have any, if there's a butt in there at all, <laughs> you know, you're, you're causing her to go in the wrong direction. Um, and so that, uh, for that safety to be reestablished, it's that openness and transparency. And it means different things to different people. What does that mean for her? Sometimes she doesn't even know. Um, but for the spouse to be able to say, I'm sorry, I know I caused this. What can I do for you? Whether it's passcodes to his devices, whether it's, um, 
accountability, whatever it is she needs. Now, ultimately, I, I tell them, you know, if an addict's going to act out, there are not enough safety measures in the world to keep them from acting out. So there's nothing foolproof. And ultimately, our safety and security is in Christ alone. Um, but while that's true, there are some things that can help with that. And if the partner is willing to, it certainly it certainly makes the journey a lot easier. Those are great. That's those are great tools. Yes. And what about yourself, Mark? Would you say that saying yes to those things, you actually saw Beth open up more? And and when you said yes, whatever you need me to do, were were you resistant to that? Is that what you did? What was that like for you? No, my resistance was just being known. You know, once I could get beyond that, it, life became so much easier. Yeah. You know, I resisted a full clinical disclosure with polygraph. That was my resistance because I just didn't want every secret to be out. And once I did that, I, she became the only person who knew me. And when you're waking up every day to the only person who's ever really known you. Um, and who's still there. Yeah, yeah that's know? right. She's still <laughs> next yeah. to you. Yes. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Then, then that, you know, that makes it a lot easier. And, and she's the most spiritual, godly person I know. She has more internal um, intestitude. I mean, she's so strong. She's been through a lot. She lost her parents when she was very young. A brother, she's lost everyone that really mattered to her. And so she has really been tried by fire through her entire life. Uh, it's her strength, not mine, that um, that that we tapped into. Uh, but we've been really diligent. Uh, we did recovery night exercises, uh, the fast check-in, which is another tool that we give couples to work with on how to check in with each other each night or at least once a week. And then both going to our recovery meetings early on was huge. We still both do that. And so, and we maintain the intimacy through that, but there's also a sense of separation in that, She's in her group. I'm in mine. Uh, we work with a lot of couples where I'm working with the guy. She's working with the wife. But unless we have freedom to share the details with each other, we don't. And when she will tell me that, like today, she had a client meeting at 11. So did I. I have no idea who she was talking to. She doesn't know who I was talking to. doesn't matter. Um, so we have our own ministry in that regard. But then uh, the, the couple aspect of it is huge also. But yeah, for me, it was just being known first. That was the big, big one. That was the hard one for me to get beyond. Well, I'd love to ask the last question. That's a fun one. Is Or a last question that we have before we dive into more of your ministry. And that is, you know, what does your marriage look like today? Right? What What did this allow you to live like today, if that makes sense? Well, there's, there's no perfect marriage, obviously, and we don't have a perfect marriage because I don't have a perfect wife, <laughs> but the, it, it looks really good because um, a lot of that is our son being gone. You know, uh, we love him, but, you know, just we know that I got her and she's got me. And so that part's been really good. We love to travel. We love spending time together. We love doing this together. And so that's been awesome. Uh, the thing that characterizes it more than anything is fun. Mm-hmm. We just really have a lot of fun together. I mean, we're three, we're going to make fun of y'all for about an hour. Um, <laughs> you know, that's just, just kind of what we do. Uh, and that's hard. You haven't given us much material to work with. Yeah. But, um, no, we just, we, 
Uh, I can email but, yeah, you. Yeah, we just like all of charity's yeah. things. I'll, I'll email you all yeah. about charity, and I'll give you some good material. Well, Charity <laughs> sent us your list. It was pretty entertaining. I got to tell you, we came on anyway. Well, what's what's really true about that? You know, he laughs, but as you can tell, he's a jokester. But um, you know, the Bible says laughter is good like a medicine, and it really is true. Um, that even in the darkest of times, there could have been times I wanted to just kill him. He would do something to make me laugh. And that was so bonding for us um, that we, even in the darkest of times, could still laugh and still be friends, um, even though I you know, didn't always know if I wanted to spend the rest of my life with him. Uh, we enjoyed the journey. And, and interestingly, so many uh, women I work with, they want to just be able to turn back the clock to what normal, you know, to normal life. But I'll tell them, You're, you don't want to go back to that. It was not normal. You thought it was, but there was there was unhealthy behaviors there. You have an opportunity to both heal and to, for things to be better than they ever were before. And that's truly our story. I don't want to go back to that. Those were two unhealthy, dysfunctional people. Yeah. Um, and we are much healthier, much happier, much um, better in our relationship to one another, have a much more intimate walk. Um, with each other and a closeness that we couldn't have had before. So what was a difficult road to get here? It's not like I'd say, Hey, I'd like to do that again, but I do recognize that it's been a gift in that we have a much stronger relationship. We're much closer. Um, and you, know, we say the rest of your life can be the best of your life. And it really has been for us uh, in the healing that God has done in our the, lives and continues to do. The best thing is just not having secrets. You yeah. know, there, there was a time when this thing was just attached to me everywhere I went, my phone and not having secrets being known. If she were to say to me today, uh, you know, you said something or you acted a certain way the other day and I'm, I'm just, I'm feeling uncomfortable. I'd like you to go do a, another polygraph. Then I'd be fine to do it. I mean, anytime because there's just absolutely no secrets. And when there's no secrets, you have intimacy. Uh, where there are secrets, there is no intimacy. And so, you know, early on when I, I sat down and told my son what I'd done, because it became public, uh, leaving the church, and he didn't know our stuff. And I didn't know, you know, how everything was going to turn out. You know, I told him, I said, son, if if you ever find my body chopped up in the freezer, don't believe the suicide note. <laughs> I can guarantee you that's, that's not how that went down. Um, but now I sleep with both eyes closed, um, you know, and it's, it's great because there's just no secrets. Yeah. No, oh, I appreciate that. There's so many, I mean, even Charity and I, we're just like, that question is, are we ever going to laugh again? Or are we ever yes. going to have joy? in our relationship again. And I, and I know that charity has said that on other podcasts. And it's like, I, sometimes you just long for what you had, because even though what you had was tainted with betrayal, you were still genuinely laughing in that moment. You were still having a good memory. And, and it, it, it is so tough, but the reality is that once there's no secrets, your laugh is more full and there's nothing behind it. And that's what I hear you guys saying is that today you laugh and there's no, there's not like you're laughing and looking over your shoulder. You know, it's like, ha ha ha. And like, oh gosh, I hope she never finds out about this. Right. And, and that, that is so freeing. And I think all of us want a relationship like that. And, um, and yet it's hard to get there too. the, the, the road to that is not, is not full of rainbows and unicorns. It's, it's a lot of work, but it's, it's such yeah. a, it's so, I don't know what the word is. It's, 
It's amazing to see you guys sitting here telling a story of betrayal, telling a story of addiction, telling a story of brokenness. And, and, and you're like, but here's where we're at today. And you're sitting there and you're laughing, you're joking back and forth. I mean, that alone, again, speaks volumes to our listeners and the people that are watching this on YouTube about what God can do in a relationship for sure. Well, that's one of the reasons uh, we felt led to, to name our ministry. There's still hope because we, we want people to know it doesn't matter how bad the situation is, how deep the addiction, how long it's been going on. There's hope in God. There is always hope. And uh, that's what we want to convey to people. Anybody that we talk to. Yeah. That was a perfect segue. That was exactly where I was going. I was going to ask, um, tell us, tell us about there is still hope, you know, share with our listeners, um, more about it and, and what you guys offer and how they can get connected to you guys. Well, we, uh, do a lot of things for men, women, and now couples. Um, and the, the three or four components we would just touch on real quick. I write a daily devotion called recovery minute, and it's called that because it's about recovery and it takes about a minute to read. And so it's very short, very pointed, and that goes out to several hundred guys. So if um, if any of the listeners or viewers want to go to our website at therestillhope.org, they can sign up for that. It's free. Love to do that. Also, um, as I work with guys one-on-one, I take them through my 90-day recovery guide, which is basically a workbook through 13 weekly themes for recovery. And so for each of those weeks, there is a daily reading and a daily written exercise. And as part of the 90-day program, at the end of each week, we get on the phone, we go through the exercises they work through that week. We do this for 90 days because it takes about 90 days to realign the neural pathways of the brain and to begin to um, change the behaviors. But more than that, what's behind the behaviors. We talk a lot about trauma and isolation, abuse, how they got there. I I teach them that uh, sex addiction for years, we've heard it's a bad problem. And from week one, I try to pound into their head to quit saying that the the issue is not, it's not a bad problem. It's a bad solution. And we've got to figure out the problem that caused the solution and find other solutions that are better. So we do that for 90 days. And then the workbook that I held up earlier, I I go through with the guys, a one-year maintenance plan. I call it the life recovery plan have seven guys or seven groups right now. We're starting our seventh group soon. Have about 60 guys that are in my weekly groups. And um, we go through the workbook. One is a live group here in Florida. The others are done by Zoom. I have a group just for pastors. I have a group just for doctors. And then the other groups are for whoever wants to be there. And um, that's my biggest focus, uh, those two programs. I work with women one-on-one and uh, I lead groups. I've written a book. Can you hold that up? Um, Your next question was to see Beth's book. <laughs> um, I wrote a workbook, the, the 12 week um, cool. reco- partner recovery guide. Um, it's a journey for healing from sexual betrayal for spouses who have been betrayed. Um, and it takes the women through uh, the typical things that you have to navigate to be able to heal from this, dealing with triggers, developing a safety plan, processing anger and grief and learning to set healthy boundaries, all of that. And so I lead groups through this, but I also work with women one-on-one. Mm. And now we're working on, uh, we do some couples work and we're writing a couples workbook right now, um, which should be, which will be done in a few months and published. And we're going to start couples recovery groups as well. 
That is we awesome. do a lot of speaking. Um, she does a lot of women's stuff. I do a lot of conferences. We both do do a lot of church events and want to continue to do that. We um, don't put a price on it. If someone wants us to come, we get there. Uh, I have a lot of things coming up. COVID was hard last year for that, but we're, uh, we do a lot of writing. So we produce a lot of material to, that we want to put in people's hands. But um, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. What we try to do is find space no one else is filling. No one else had a 90-day program, so we really focused on that. Beth is the trauma expert. She's so good with the spouses, and as she takes women through her groups, it's material no one else has. It's very unique to us and to her own training and her own experience, and God's really blessing that, and that's, that's really been a lot of fun. I love that. Wow. Thank you guys so much. What you guys are doing is so needed. So, so needed. And we are so grateful that you guys are being obedient in the call because we know that in our obedience on the other end is somebody's deliverance. So we are so grateful. Again, that's theirsstillhope.org, right? Yes. You guys, it has been such a pleasure to have you on the podcast, sharing all that you did, your wisdom, and just, again, your your ability to sit next to each other and be together is a testimony in and of itself. And we're so thankful to have you guys this morning. So thank you. Because we've been honored with the opportunity and are so excited about what you guys are doing as well and to be partners in the space of sexual brokenness and kingdom building with you guys. We love you. Appreciate all you're doing. Thank you guys. Thank you so much. I'm yours until the end of time. Hey everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe to the show Follow us on Instagram and sign up for the upcoming course. You can also connect with us on the Ask Us Anything page at RestoredToMore.com. Also, quick note, all the work at Restored to More Inc., including this podcast, is made possible by our donors and financial partners. We wouldn't be here without those who have generously given to the cause of restoration. If you ever feel led to give, you can do so on the donate page on our website, 